Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Hi, my name is Bruce Fiddler, and I serve as the Equip Pastor at Bethel World Outreach Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. I have the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you. I've served here at the church for about 11 years now, and I oversee all of the education ministries for the adults at the church. We have several different programs, and I'll tell you a little bit more about one of them towards the end. Today's message I've entitled, Good News for the Weary. And one of the reasons why I wanted to address this is because I'm sure many of you have experienced either yourself personally or other people around you just uh, some measure of the weariness that people are feeling at this point with everything that's going on in our lives together. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Galatia. And what he said to them was as follows. Let us not grow weary of doing good, For in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. He also wrote the believers in a city called Thessalonica something similar when he wrote to them and said, As for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. The word that he used there is a word that basically means to become discouraged or disheartened. In other words, to lose heart. And I was thinking as I look into the faces of people, sometimes on Zoom calls, sometimes in person, maybe even sometimes feeling it myself, there is a growing measure of weariness that some of us are beginning to feel for a variety of reasons. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we don't know exactly how it's all going to play out and when everything is going to go back to normal. At this point, there's already been over 127,000 deaths in the United States alone from the pandemic. In the world, there have been over a half million people now who have died as a result of this COVID-19 virus. Health experts tell us that while there's hope for a vaccine and perhaps it'll get distributed in mass maybe next year, who knows, it's still not exactly clear as to when things will be fully normal again. We've all dealt with lockdowns and isolation, social distancing, and having to wear face masks. All of that, as time goes by, can produce weariness in our lives. We need to have interaction, and we long for the normal. In addition to that, of course, has been the economic fallout. A number of us have lost jobs or taken pay cuts. It's touched even my own family. One of my sons works for a major theater company up in New York City, And they've not been able to do any kind of productions during this entire time. They just recently had a round of layoffs. He himself has experienced a pay cut. His wife, on the other hand, opened up a small business, an esthetician salon. And she had to shut down very shortly after opening up. She still has not been able to reopen. So there's a lot of tentativeness tentativeness and uncertainty that people are feeling about the future. And then if you add on to all of this something that has been festering for a very long time in our country, is the whole issue of racial and social injustice. You know, when I think about the last 400 years, those first 250 years when slavery was allowed in this country, 
It was an experience of dehumanization of other people who are made in the image of God. Many of you who are watching are African-American of African descent, and you personally have been touched by this. I obviously have not directly, but indirectly I have. And then the last 150 years, from the time of the Civil War and when those of African descent who had formerly been slaves were declared free, so many continue to experience oppression and violence and injustice. I can only imagine what it must be like to have deferred hopes and failed promises again and again. The civil rights movement 50 years ago has not resulted in the promise and the hope that was once delivered when it was first taking place. We see this in all of the events and the issues that are still coming up before us day after day in the news. I wonder sometimes what it's like for those of you that are African-American, especially that are older and that lived during that time. Perhaps you were young, maybe a child, maybe a teenager. And you wonder sometimes how long is it going to take? How long before people wake up and understand and do something about it? All of this together, whether you're of African-American descent or whether you're from another ethnicity and you're touched by the images and the information and the conversations that you're having with friends who are of African descent, compounded by the pandemic, compounded by the economic fallout, all of that can become wearying over time. And then I think of personal challenges that we face. Some of us are dealing with broken or strained relationships. Some of us have existing health conditions that make life difficult. Some of us are stuck in what we feel like are dead-end or languishing careers. And then there's the whole burden of spiritually loved ones, uh, rather loved ones who are spiritually lost. You know, it's not difficult in a world like this, a world that is imperfect, a world that is touched by sin, a world that is longing and crying out to be redeemed, to experience weariness. The scriptures tell us that we should look to Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews wrote the following in chapter 12. He said, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus himself is really to be our example. He's the one that we're supposed to look to. This writer was concerned that the believers would become discouraged or fatigued or exhausted. That's the meaning of the original word there. But you know, sometimes when you hear exhortations about how we should not grow weary in doing good or we should consider Jesus so that we might not grow weary or faint-hearted, we can actually become more discouraged because we're actually experiencing weariness already. But you know, Jesus himself actually experienced weariness and frustration and anger. Yes, it's possible to experience those things and yet not have sinned against God. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4 with regard to Jesus, it says that Jesus came to a well there in Samaria, and it says that wearied as he was from his journey, he sat beside the well, and it was about the middle of the day. In other words, Jesus experienced physical exhaustion. One of the great mysteries about Jesus that sometimes we don't spend enough time thinking about is the fact that although the Bible declares him to be God in the flesh, during the time that he first came to the earth and grew up 
as a child and an adolescent and a young adult and even entered into his public ministry, he did not rely upon his divine powers to live out his human life. He lived purely as a human and didn't tap into all of his abilities to sustain himself. That's why he could be tired. That's why he could feel pain. That's why he actually also ultimately experienced death. Because in his divine self, of course, he's full of power and he's full of knowledge and he's full of wisdom and he's full of life and he's immortal and everlasting in every way. But he was touched with our humanity and became like us in every single way except that he had no sin in his heart, in his thoughts, in his attitudes, in his motives, or in any of his words. And this Jesus experienced weariness. Matthew 17 tells us that one time when he was dealing with the crowd and the people who continued to not understand who he was and to many times be imperceptible to the truths and the love and the revelation that he was trying to bring humanity said, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? You can hear in those very words, the frustration that Jesus in his human soul must have felt. This frustration was not sinful, but it was just part of what it means to be human and to go through life when things do not go as you hope for them to go. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, it tells us that he also experienced anger. Listen to this. It says, he looked around at them. These are the religious people who did not want him to do good for another person on the Sabbath because in their mind, that would be doing work which was prohibited on the Sabbath. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man who was crippled, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and his hand was restored. You see, Jesus, being fully human, experienced the full range of human emotions. He was never vindictive. He was never vengeful. He was never angry for the wrong reasons. He never wanted to do something that would have been ungodly. He never wanted to use violence against people that would have been unjustified. But Jesus, in the purity of his heart, experienced frustration. He experienced grief. He experienced anger. And he became even weary physically. And you could see then that Jesus also needed to be refreshed in his humanity. You'll remember, for example, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus about to go to the cross, that at one point he was in such anguish as he was facing the prospect of having our sins placed upon him and being separated from his Father, God in heaven, and being crucified, being tortured, brutally treated, that as he anticipated all of these things, the Bible says that he was worn out, that his soul was heavy, that he was deeply troubled in spirit, and that an angel came to him to strengthen him. Jesus in his humanity, sinless as he was, was so weary at that point that he needed supernatural refreshing from God, and he received it. How is it that Jesus overcame the weariness and the frustration and the anger and all the rest? He surely would have been familiar with the promises that are written in the Old Testament, student as he was of the Word of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, there's a great promise, some of you may be familiar with this, where Isaiah the prophet says the following, 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. In other words, even those of us that we would expect to be uh, full of uh, diminishing energy still continue to face weariness, even themselves. And young men shall fall exhausted. But, the prophet says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, what does it mean then to wait for the Lord? It's not a passive posture where we sit around and do nothing and sort of wait upon the sovereign move of God. Well, if God wants me to feel better, if God wants to help me, then he will. No, waiting for the Lord or waiting upon the Lord is a phrase that shows up many times in the Old Testament. And it actually speaks of an active seeking. In other words, taking the human heart and leaning in towards God. It's acknowledging where we are in our desperation, in our need, in our spiritual bankruptcy, in our weariness, and turning to God and calling upon him. It involves prayer. It involves stilling our hearts before God. And fundamentally, it involves listening to God's word, letting God's word speak to us. You know, when we look at the Gospels and we see Jesus in action, one of the beautiful pictures of him is how again and again he would pull away from the crowds and even his closest friends, his closest disciples, in order that he might go off early in the morning and spend time alone with God. This is a habit or a routine that he had developed in his life. I'm sure it was developed in his life long before he ever came into the public light. You know, he kind of had a relatively quiet life up until the time that he entered into what we call his public ministry. He was not in the limelight, and he wasn't under a whole lot of pressure. But when he did enter into the public ministry at about the age of 30, the pressure started to build. But he had already forged a habit or a discipline, a routine in his life, where on a regular basis he would go off alone and spend time with God. And it was here in this place of privacy, not him with the church, not him with his family, but him by himself, alone with God. It was there that God would meet him. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but remember, he was living out his human life according to human limitations. And the Holy Spirit, God the Father, would come and minister to him in that place. Isaiah, the prophet who whose promise we just read a moment ago about how God refreshes the weary, also has a number of instances where he anticipates the coming of Jesus into this world. These are passages that refer to a servant of the Lord. And these passages are quoted in the New Testament as actually being about Jesus himself. Here's one of the passages out of Isaiah chapter 50. And this is a quote as though Jesus himself is saying it through the prophet. He says, The Lord God has given me, meaning Jesus, the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
Morning by morning, he, being God, awakens me. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. That's a prophecy about how Jesus would eventually be tortured as he was being sent to the cross. He says, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, talking about God. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? As Jesus once said in the Gospel of John, who can prove me of any sin? And then he says finally, behold, all of them, talking about the adversaries, will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. There are several beautiful things that appear in this passage to my eye. First of all, Jesus points out that he was instructed by God daily. In other words, it underscores what we also read in the Gospels. Day by day by day, Jesus carved out time in a very busy, demanding life to find an ability to go and be alone with God. He says that he was instructed by God, which especially speaks then of sitting, as it were, in the counsel of the Lord. How do we do that today? Well, the Bible is the primary way by which God speaks to us today. The Holy Spirit speaks to us as we read and study the Bible. How important that is. And Jesus was obedient to God's instruction. He didn't just acquire knowledge about God the Father, but as a human, he put into practice the things that the Word of God spoke to him on a daily basis. As a result of that, he was confident in his identity. Even though there were abusers and oppressors and people who treated him unjustly, people who sought to heap shame and disgrace upon him, he says he was not touched by it. Those of you who have experienced significant oppression, I call you to look to Jesus to imitate his example. You have dignity and worth and value because God himself has declared that you're made in the image of God. All people, all ethnicities, no matter what their background, no matter if they are from an aboriginal tribe in Australia or whether they're from Africa or Latin America or any part of the world, every person is equal in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, there's neither male nor female. No one is greater or lesser. All are equal to God. All have value. And for all, Jesus Christ gave his life. Because he was instructed by God on a daily basis, because he was obedient to that instruction, because he was confident in his identity, he was enabled to endure injustice. And he was enabled to sustain the weary with simply a word. That same Jesus wants to speak to you. He wants to impart his confidence to you. He wants to impart his strength to you. He wants to tell you of your worth and your value. He wants to give you hope for the future. He wants to give you hope for the uncertainty that you currently face, whether it's with regard to relationships or finances or health 
or anything that is troubling you or touching your life at the present time. The hope that we have, as the Bible teaches us, is so great. You know, in this world, Jesus said, we will face trouble and we will face trials and we will face tribulation. Jesus himself even said that in the time leading up to his return, when he comes back a second time, things will not gradually all become nice and calm and serene, but rather they'll continue to be trouble in the earth. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes and there'll be famines and people will rise up against one another and sometimes even family members against family members. All of this must take place, the scripture says, for they are functioning as it were almost like the birth pains that a woman goes through when she gives birth to her children. You know, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples towards the end of his life prior to his execution and of course his resurrection, talked about how all of these things will come and yet we could still have peace in the midst of them. And the reason is because he himself would overcome all of these trials that he himself endured. Our hope, yes, is for this life. I do have hope and am confident that we will come out the other side of the pandemic. I do have hope that the economy will pick up again. I do have hope that there will be progress when it comes to social justice and racial justice. But you know, at the end of the day, my hope is not for a perfect world now in this lifetime. My hope rather lies with the promises that God has given us through his word in the Old and the New Testament that tells us that when Jesus comes back again one day, he will eradicate all sin. He will put an end to all injustice. He will remove sickness and disease and death. Those who have put their trust in him the Bible says, are appointed unto salvation. He will remove all shame and guilt. He will bestow glory and honor upon us. He will clothe us with immortality and everlasting life. The Bible tells us that every one of us will feel safe. Every one of us will prosper. And every one of us will only always want to do good because we will be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. My ultimate hope is for what lies ahead. Yes, we get to go to heaven when we die. That's going to be great. But even better is when Jesus comes back and Jesus transforms this world and puts an end to all of the suffering that is being experienced in the present time. This is our great hope. So what should we do practically now in light of Jesus' example? It all begins with reading and studying the Bible on a daily basis. I would say that this is fundamentally, at least from my own personal perspective, even more important than prayer and worship. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, is that if we are not adequately instructed by God's revelation in his word, then our prayers and our worship sometimes can be misinformed and misguided. His eternal word revealed through the 66 books of the Bible and gives us understanding and insight into them. And this produces life and power and vitality, and it imparts grace and love to us. And then we begin to pray. And then we begin to worship. And then we go out and live lives of purposeful action motivated by love. This is transformative. I remember not sleeping well through the night 
and then waking up in the morning and still being stressed out because of everything going on. But I began to turn my attention to the scriptures and I began to think about all of God's great promises for the future. And it's amazing how whatever grooves, as it were, or lanes or neural pathways in which my thought life was traveling over those last hours that had produced such a weight of heaviness upon me, they began to evaporate. And I found my thoughts and my emotions and my attitude and my whole posture traveling down a different pathway, centered once again upon God. What a difference it makes. It's like night and day between following the course of this world and what it produces in the soul and paying attention to what God has said in his word and being filled with the energy and the life and the power that comes from a personal God who cares about you so much that he would send his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins on the cross and secure for you everlasting life. You know, get yourself a good Bible if you don't have one. If the print's too small, buy one with bigger print. Use an electronic device. Journal. Do a prepared Bible study. We have a book called The Purple Book that you can acquire. You can find that online at our Bethel website. And you can go through a variety of studies that can take you as long as a, a year if you decide to go through them at a nice, slow, deep pace. The other thing I recommend to you is to not just do stuff on your own, but to take some Bible classes. I mentioned earlier that I am the equip pastor and that I oversee several programs here at the church. I want to highlight two of those. One of them is our School of Discipleship. The other one we call our Leadership Institute. Did you know that both of them are online and that they were already online even before the pandemic hit and we've not been able to meet? We have video recordings, audio recordings, student notes, and a whole bunch of supplemental information to support these courses. If you go to our website, BethelEquip.org, you can read about both programs. Our School of Discipleship is designed for every single believer, and we're kicking off the fall semester on August 2nd. So I encourage you to take a look at that. If you already maybe have done a Bible class or two in the past, or you're simply wanting to go deeper, then I strongly recommend our Leadership Institute. We have a deadline coming up of July 21st, and that's because one week after that, we'll actually be kicking off with an orientation. It's all been completely redesigned, and the great thing is, is that the administrative fee has been radically reduced. And so, again, I encourage you to come out and be a part of that. More information, again, is available at the website. And if you have any questions at all, please email us. You can email us at BethelEquip at BethelWorld.org, and we'll get back to you and answer any questions that you have. I'd like to take this last remaining minute and just pray for you. So if you've been feeling weary, whether you know the Lord Jesus Christ or not, I want to pray that God will meet you where you're at and that you would respond to the offer that I presented you today. And that is, is to take time and to begin to seek God in the Bible. God will meet you and God will speak to you. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for everyone who has heard this message today. Lord, I do pray that what I myself have experienced again and again and again in my life 
would be experienced by everyone who is listening to me right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself. Lord, for those that don't know you, reveal Jesus to them. Lord, may they pick up a Bible, Lord. May they begin to read out of one of the Gospels, for example, the Gospel of John. And Lord, may they discover Jesus so amazing, so wonderful, so real, so personal. Lord, I pray also, Lord, for those who do know you. And if they don't have a habit, Lord, of seeking you on a daily basis, Lord, help them to establish that habit. Strengthen them and encourage them. Lord, if they do have the habit, but Lord, still, this has been a season of struggle for them, then I pray as they reach out to you, God, that you would visit them afresh, Lord, beginning even this very next day, Father, as they turn to you and open up their Bibles. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we appreciate you. It's been my privilege to be with you today. God bless you, and may God deliver us from the crises that we're in in this present hour. Amen. It wasn't an accident that you were here today. You participating, letting God speak to you through this service will not only make a difference in your life, but also in the lives of those around you. Throughout the week, uh, my faith is encouraged through the social media channels that our church uses. If you want to stay encouraged, connect with us on Instagram as Bethel World and Facebook at Bethel World Outreach Church. If you need prayer for anything, scan the QR code that's on the screen with your phone and that'll actually take you to a page where you can get prayed for by a pastor or a ministry team member. Thank you for being here and thank you for joining us as together we're reaching a city to touch the world.